Hey there, this is Dennis Anywell with Dennis Hensley, that's me, and this is a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love to talk to creative people about how they do their thing, and I really love to talk to people that have found a way to do their thing during the pandemic, and that's what today's guest has done. His name is Tom Detrinis. He is an actor and a writer and a director, and he has created a one-person show called Making Friends that is currently available to view online through January 11th. It's directed by my previous podcast guest, Drew Drogi, um, who you may know from The Mismatch Game and a million other brilliant things that he's done. And uh, they teamed up and they made this show happen. And I watched it uh, a couple of nights ago and it's really great. Um, entertaining, funny, thought-provoking. I related to a lot of it. So it was really fun to talk to Tom about it. And also, he has a Ryan Gosling story that I am just going to live for. It's going to carry me into 2021. It's that good. So um, before we get to the interview, I want to invite any of you that have been thinking about doing a virtual game night of You Don't Know My Life, um, the game I co-created with Jeb Havens, to pull the trigger and do it. We've been doing lots of uh, gatherings for people over the holidays who have to stay apart because of the pandemic. We've done work groups. We've done friend groups. We've done family groups. We've done younger people, older people. We did a 90th birthday party recently for a woman, and it was so moving. Um, her son was there to help with the technology and the stories that came out. It was just a big hit. It was great. So um, let us help you connect with your people. Go to youdon'tknowmylife.com. You email me. We set up a date and time, and then we do it over Zoom. It's easy and fun, and you'll love it. We've had no unsatisfied customers. Nobody's slammed their computer shut and said this is bullshit. Everyone leaves with the warm fuzzies and a lot of laughs. So hopefully we can do that for you too at youdon'tknowmylife.com. And now let's get to the interview. Here is Tom Detrinis. All right, I'm joined via Zoom by Tom Detrinis, who's also in Los Angeles enjoying the rain. Um, hello, yes. Tom. Uh, hello, hello, Dennis. Uh, welcome Thanks to for the having pod. Me. Yes. I feel like we're in this amazing event with rain for the first time in like six months or something longer. I don't even know. Yeah, because this is the first time it's rained continually like this. I feel like in November there was one day where it was like just when we were sleeping and then it disappeared. Yes. And then, you know, I, I enjoy it in these very tiny spurts because... Um, I find that a lot of Los Angelinos, when it comes to rain, get out on the streets and don't know what to do. Yeah, they, so they start driving radically. They start being stupid in the grocery store. Like they just make really poor decisions <laughs> when it starts raining. But what I love is the day after it rains here because it is so clear and beautiful and you can see for miles and it's so stunning to me. And yeah, and you're going, there are hills there. I never knew there were hills over there. Yeah, that was another fun. That, that was another fun thing to realize during the pandemic too, when they like everyone had to stop driving, and then all of a sudden the like the smog cleared, yeah. and you walked outside in the middle of April, and you're like, I can see far into the mountains. Wow, <laughs> I love it. The other good news is you've got a show going on now, but you don't have to drive to the theater in the rain because it's online for people to see. Right. It's called right. Making Friends. It's a it's a one person show. Uh, and people can buy a ticket and stream it at their leisure up until the 11th. Um, yep. What made you want to do a show in the middle of the pandemic? Were you Was there a part of you like, let me just wait and do this live on stage? Or what made you go for it? Well, um, I don't like sitting still. And, I, you know, you've seen a lot of my stuff, Dennis, which is lovely, like from the shows that I drew with Drew to Ravenswood to celebration shows. Yeah. I'm always moving around and moving around and moving around. Um, and my friend Melissa, um, when the pandemic started, was just like, you need to actually hunker down and work on this. This is the time to do it. And I knew I kind of wanted to write a show about myself for about like a year and a half, actually, right. when I did Tilda Swinton answers an ad on Craigslist with Byron Lane and Tom Lang. Yes. And the you other directed, cast you directed that? I did direct that. Yeah. Um, we were in Scotland at the Fringe Festival the first year. I'm so jealous that you've had the, fr the Scotland Fringe experience. I feel like it, I want it. You need to come. 
Yeah. Dennis, next time any of us are going to it, you need to come. You will love it. As a lover of the performing arts, as you, and a lover of like many different assets of it, from comedy to like drama to whatever, you you would love it. And there's so much drag performance there. Yes. So much. I it's did a uh, college choir tour to England, Scotland, and Wales in my younger days. And I just remember the green of Scotland, of Edinburgh, was the kind of green that I've never seen before. So I love yeah. going to the theater and then walking out into the green. Theater, yes. green, right? Yes. Okay. And that's the joy of that. That city is so magical and so special. And so um, there's something electric about it that um, I highly recommend going to. Any of the listeners or to you, Dennis, you must go. Okay. when you Even if it's just for a few days to catch a few shows as you're traveling through the U.K., it is worth the stop. It is very much worth it. Anyway, so we were there, and Byron Lane turned to me, and he was like, all of these stories you have, Tom, you need to put it into a show. And I was like, Byron, shut up. And he was like, no, Tom, you need to do it. So I started, com- from that point, I started compiling all of these personal stories. Right. And, and I put them into a show, and then I showed it to Melissa Stevens, who was one of the producers on the show and a collaborator of mine. And she was like, close, keep on working. <laughs> so then the pandemic hit, and I just started aggressively working on this show, like constantly since April. And kind of showing up almost every day to kind of like write it during the week, at least. And I just naturally kind of like kept going. And then my friend, I'm part of the I Am, the theater company ensemble. And my friend who's the co-artistic director, Stephanie Black, she was telling me in August that they were going to do a season of virtual one-person productions. And I was like, oh, well, I kind of have something written. And she's like, done. We need another one. I want you to do it. You have to do it. I love it. You had a deadline and you were going to have to make it no matter what. I love that stuff. Yes. So that happened around August. I had to finish the first draft. I did a reading of it on September 20th. And then um, Drew and I started working with each other at the beginning of October. And then um, you got the show. And then we filmed it on December 1st or 2nd, one of those two. What was it like to perform a show like that with no audience? Terrifying. Like, in a word, terrifying. (laughs) Um, Everyone, I love that I keep getting this question because, you know, as performers and as people who perform live in front of people all of the time, such as yourself, you feed off of the energy of an audience so much. You need it so badly that... It, uh, the first time we were filming it, the very first like take of the show, I turned to um, I turned to Drew after it was over, and I was like, "I quit, I quit. It's over. <laughs> I can't done. do it." You're I was like, done. "I was done. This feels like shit. Am I a performer? Fuck this. I hate this. I hate it all." And he was like, "Listen, it looks great. Just keep going. Don't stop. You're gonna be fine." What made and you want to? Like, what hmm? made you want to quit? Just the fact that you felt unmoored and there was no feedback and you just felt like, what am I doing up here? All of that. All of that. It felt like I was shouting into an abyss, but the (laughs) abyss was actually not even like a loving abyss or like, you know, when you need to shout into an abyss when you're in your car, whenever you're upset, it felt like I was talking to an, uh, to a room full of people who didn't care. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's what performing to an empty audience in with cameras watching right. you felt. And if you, it and if felt, you were a, a two person play, you could at least focus on the other person. You yes. know? So yeah. it, it's, it's strange. Um, I thought your performance was terrific and I liked the way it looked. It just was a class act. I think it, I think it, I think it really works and I'm good for you for making it happen. How do you feel now okay. that it's sort of up and running? Um, I feel pretty good about it. Um, good. I feel I, I've been getting some good responses. I've been getting a few good reviews about it. So I, I feel very positive about the experience I had. Um, I'm very happy that people are also having an emotional response, whether that be a positive or negative emotional response. Yeah. You know, some, some reviewers did have a negative response to it, and I find that actually rewarding now that I look at it because um, that means I incited something inside of them that made them feel. And whether it was a feeling of I hate this or a feeling of I love this, I'm glad that I made you feel. Because at this time in the world where no one is actually feeling much besides despair, I'm glad that I could take you away for an hour. And, um, you know, I it's my first time ever writing. That's I've never written anything before. Really? It so, felt very assured in terms of the... Oh, 
phrasing and the comedy and the language. So good for you. Well, well thank you, Dennis. Um, it, it, uh, it, it, it felt good to just finish something, you know? So uh, yeah. that, felt, <laughs> that felt, even if it was just a symbol of like, God damn it, I did it. And if everyone hated it, I should at least rest on the fact that I did it. You I, know, I've and, talked to a number of people that have done things during the pandemic. And like we did the mismatch game show that I do. And yeah, nobody yeah. that I've talked to goes, gosh, I wish I hadn't done that. Everyone was like, I'm glad I got to be engaged in something. What the hell? Yeah. We did it. You know, this idea that we'll just wait till it's over. You'll just be waiting. Just do your stuff. Um, just your show. How would you describe the themes or the story of your show to somebody that hadn't seen it? Um, I would say it's a lot about discovery. Um, I would say for me, it's discovery about where my anger comes from and why I'm angry and things that make me angry. And then I, you know, I'm not, and a lot of times I'm not so overt and I'm not so Ted talk about it. Like these are the, these are the points of what I'm, what I am upset about. Um, it's sometimes a little bit more subtle in the ways that I express my anger in the show. Um, but I think that's really the majority of, of what it's about is kind of me. It's a coming out tale. It's a coming out tale about who I am, yeah. not about being gay, but about being this rageaholic that flows inside of me. And hopefully other people will watch and recognize that they're the same, that they repress the anger inside of them because they feel like it's not okay to, to be angry. Um, but um, that's kind of, I would say that's kind of like the themes of the show. Yeah, that was the main thing that really I hooked onto because I... I'm sort of the opposite. I don't express anger. I realized this within the last, I don't know, five or seven years after having been through some sort of traumatic experiences going, I just skip it. I go right to acceptance. Why, why, why don't I express anger? What is that about? And I've sort of connected it to things in my past, but it looks like we, we went to a different way because I don't express it. Whereas you, a lot of things make you angry. Oh my god! Um, so it was so, really interesting. The contrast was really interesting. And well, thank you. I've learned um, in the I, last, I don't know, during this period of time of exploration, in the last five or so, so years, that it doesn't just go away if you don't express it. So yeah. it 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 will come back and haunt you in your physiology and all kinds of ways. So I've gotten better at. I don't always. Ex- I, I don't always yell or whatever, but I've gotten better at in the moment expressing this frustration or whether it's an email or whatever, I don't just swallow it because I think yeah. my number one on my to-do list for the first 50 odd year decades of my life or whatever was don't upset anybody. That was yeah. number one. Yeah. And, and you know, I think a lot of the times, and I love that you said that because I think growing up as as gay men, we are actually, we don't, we're not allowed to have that space to be upset because we already have to be a version of uh, a version of a person that goes into society. That is one way. So we don't upset other people about the fact that we like to sleep with other men. So we have to put on this front that is very like kind and loving and accepting and like non-confrontational. And I feel like, um, a lot of gay men who have watched this show have felt like, oh, I am, I do that all the time. I have to be, I have to be this good boy, right. you know? Cause like yeah. when we're young, especially even in our like age divide, you know, there, I grew up and people were like, you, you cannot be what you want to be. So I was like, all right, well then I'll just have to be what you want me to be in order to be an okay, you know, to, in order to just kind of like survive in this world. And I think that really takes a toll on gay men. And then even when we're like hanging out at a party or something like that, we can't walk in there with anger with other gay men because then the queens are going to be like, well, she's mean. Get her away from us. Like, don't invite her again. She's a bitch. She's so bitter. We don't want her around. She's not a good time. Well, like, it's okay to not be a good time because that, I mean, if this pandemic taught us anything it's that we have to be okay with the roller coaster and that everyone's on the roller coaster in writing the in writing the piece did you start to put together things where you like oh well maybe this is why i'm angry or did you kind of know all of this stuff and it was just a matter of getting it down do you know what Um, i'm saying did you come to conclusions as you were working on it 
Um, I did come to a few conclusions. A lot of what I already, a lot of what I put in there, I knew already because in the past, like, I would say three or four years, I've been going hard in the therapy land. Good for you. And so uh, just because I really wanted to understand why I had such terrible road rage, I walked into the therapy room basically like, hey, I've got really bad road rage issues and we need to talk about it because people are actually concerned. And that turned into, hey, I have rage issues <laughs> that are not in, that do not deal with driving in a car. Um and so like that kind of like that kind of is what where I began the exploration. Mm-hmm. And I think in the process of writing this, I found out what did I what parts did I give me a second? Because there was like one or two sections that I found out in the process of doing all of this. Oh, that thing about my dad in the car mm-hmm. where I looked forward after being on those religious retreats at the very end where yeah. I like talked about all of that, that I discovered in the writing process. Like that memory came back to me in like sometime in October. And I was just like, oh my God, it was like a really big revelation moment for me where I was like, oh, that's where I began. That's yeah. where like dual human being kind of started. I started uh, performing. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, th- there were those tiny moments, but a lot of, like, you know, a lot of the shit about how I don't like New York, that has existed for a long time. That's one of the reasons why Drew and I are such good friends, because we talk all the time about how New York makes us a little bit cuckoo pants. Right. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it was kind of a, it was a little bit of a mix, but it was mostly I had a lot of that figured out beforehand. Yeah. You know, when I express the most rage is when I do something clumsy. If I stub my toe within uh-huh. that, Split second afterwards, I could kill a family of four. <laughs> because all of the rage that I, all the things that make me angry in the world that I don't feel like I can express or maybe don't even want to express. Like, it's yeah. like they come out when I stub my toe or bump my head, and yep. it's not cute. It's ugly. No. But no. it sounds like your version of road rage. Like, all the stuff from everywhere else comes out on that bitch in the Camry. Oh, my God. And I think when that kept happening, I kept having to ask the question, why is this occurring? Why am I so angry at this other car? Yeah. Like, why am I? And then, because it most of the time starts out me hating the car, and then I start hating myself in the process. So, like, kind of like what you were saying, like, getting so upset about being so clumsy. I have the same, I would get the same I would stub my toe or hit myself or I'd be late for something or I made a wrong turn and I would destroy myself. I'd yeah. be like, you're an idiot. You're a waste. Like, what are you, what is, what do you think you're doing? Like, get out of here. Like, I yeah. would just really go in yeah. on it. Um, you have a Leah Michelle mention early on and yes. I want to thank you for that. And you're I want to <laughs> also acknowledge that I did enjoy her reckoning earlier in 2020 um, that was quite the reckoning where she didn't even realize it was a reckoning. <laughs> How did she not realize that we all wanted to punch her in the face? She sat there and she was just like, wow, I guess I'm a mean person. And we're all like, where have you been? <laughs> it wasn't, it was, I can't, I have to say it wasn't quite as delicious as the Ellen reckoning, just because there weren't yeah. as many stories. There weren't as yeah. many stories. And... And Leah's probably not as rich. Maybe that's my thing, but <laughs> but maybe you, not. you you work in the business. You know anyone connected with Glee would make that face like woo anytime. Yeah, yeah. So it was. I, I like a Leah Michelle moment. I also like her voice. I'm not. I, I like. I Here's think the she's thing. talented. Her voice is butter. It is actual yeah. butter. Yeah. And the when my I wish though that she was more self aware because she would. Be so. I think she'd be more like, um, you know, Kristen Chenoweth. Yeah, she she's got a lot of lovers and haters or whatever. But Kristen Chenoweth sometimes knows that she's Kristen Chenoweth, yeah, she and she gets the joke a little, little bit. bit. Yeah, she gets the joke a little bit. Yeah, and that's why sometimes we like her. Yeah. But with Leah Michelle, she doesn't understand humor whatsoever, and also she tries too hard at the same time. Like I saw her sing "Don't Rain on My Parade" in one of those events. Yeah. Like fucking it was several years ago we're talking several years ago and as i'm watching her sing it i was just like your your voice was made for this song right you are perfect for this song how are you ruining this song (laughs) how 
She tried too hard. She made every note and every word a meal. And I was like, girl, just relax. Just stand there and sing the song. It is one of the most powerful songs ever written. Just sing it. And yet she's tight with Jonathan Groff, which I don't... I think that comes from... That comes from just like decades of work with each other yeah. from they when they began as young children. Yeah. I think that's why. Yeah. I you know I also feel like he's just a lovely human being. Yes. So he probably gets along with anyone at this point. Yeah. You know? Sure. Okay. I'm glad that we've squared that away. You have a big family. <laughs> What's that? You have a big family. Huge. Yeah. Ginormous. Yes. And uh you were raised religious, but I could was it Catholicism or just Christian? Catholic. Catholic. Well, interesting because my my dad's my mom's family's Catholic. They were like all Italian Catholics. Then my dad's family, which is the bigger of the two, um, they started out Catholic. Then halfway through, they converted to um, evangelical Christian. Right. Like a Baptist. I see. So that's the twist. Which is a weird twist. But the Catholics in my family, in my dad's side of the family, if they're still Catholic, they are Catholic. Right. I mean, my my aunt, who I talk about in the show, who I did not mention her real name. Um, all of the names are fake, by the way, in the show. Okay. Uh, uh, they've all been changed to protect the innocent, in quotes. Um that aunt, the oldest of my dad's siblings, she is, she, she thinks she's a walking saint. She, she fancies herself truly Mother Teresa, like right. I say. She really does think that she is going to, ha- she's the only one who will go to heaven out of all of us. Wow. And it's that kind of arrogance that a Catholic that a Catholic brings into a room that like makes me so annoyed and why I can't step inside a Catholic church anymore because it's just everyone kind of trying to out Catholic the other person. And it makes me, it really grates me, but yeah, that kind of like dichotomy between like Catholics and evangelicals in my family. And whenever we would get together for family functions was always quite a challenge. And when my grandpa died, my dad's dad, Um, there was a big debate in the family about would he be buried with a Catholic service or an evangelical service? And it was a real contentious moment that I thought would completely break the family up, but thankfully it did not. Um, But they are are bountiful, the Detrinus clan. And if you ever meet someone with the last name Detrinus, they are my cousin. They are like first cousin. They are Um, are them. And there's a lot of... Did you ever have religious guilt about being gay when you started putting that together? Yes. A hundred percent. I don't talk about this too much in my show, but when I was going through the discovery of being gay in high school, um, when I was sucking all of those wieners, um, that I talk about, um, I was at the same time going through, uh, like a, a religious awakening in quotes where I would hook up with guys all the time and then at the minute after it was over, I would start hating myself mm. and being like, I'm dirty. I'm a bad person. This isn't good. Right. Like, even after I was like, just fucking masturbating, yeah. even then, I was like, I'm a bad person. I'm going to hell. This is not okay. I would like, have I, that after that. Yeah. I felt, I felt like it was my only thing I was really doing wrong. It was my, right? my only did, big sin was that. Did you grow up Catholic too? No, I was raised Mormon. Um, oh, yeah. Janet. Whoa. Yeah. Twist. Yeah. Twist. So you kind of, I mean, Catholics and Mormons, while they believe in different things, are very, very rigid. They're, they're both incredibly, they're so similar, actually, in terms of the way that they live their lives and the, and the guilt that they bestow upon their, um, their young people. Yeah, <laughs> like it's, it's this, this feeling that we're being tested on Earth for the next life and we've got to ace the test. And yes. so you're constantly aware of how much swearing did I do? Did I drink that Coke? Or, you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of rules yeah. and stuff. Um, so there was a bit of that going on for me. Although my family wasn't super religious. But um, oh, you write mm-hmm. about being a teenage horn dog, and I was so impressed with your <laughs> game. With Thank your, you. I, I was so far behind that. I could not imagine doing the stuff that you were doing. You were, I you started- were filleting to completion. Yes, honey. At 14. I I mean, I'm just like, oh, my head is off. 
My Let me tell off. you what really, what, thank you very much. What really did it was AOL because we got AOL in my house um, in seventh grade, sixth would, or seventh grade. Would the sound of a modem, would that kind of give you an excite? I could get a little erotic rush from that. Yes, of course. Just of course like it chat did. chat rooms and like, yeah. Chat rooms. Chat rooms. Yes. I, I didn't know the joys of porn until AOL. Like, I just thought it was magazines or like right. dirty films or something. But then once I was alone in my house at one point, which was very challenging because yeah. there were so many of us. But when I was finally alone or when everyone was asleep and I was just like, you know, surfing the internet because or I was talking with friends in school, we would like chat with each other online. Um, I would just go on this long journey of finding all of this porn. And I was just like, oh my God, I love Dick so much. And that's really where it began. And so thank you, AOL, whoever started that shit. You, 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 um, you unleashed the beast. And I was just, the very first time that I hooked up with someone was um, through AOL chat. So I was chatting with a friend who was a year younger than me. We were in middle school and he started like conversing with me online and he initiated the chat and was like, Hey, would you like want to have a makeout fest with like me and Kelly one day? And I was like, maybe, but like more with you. And he was like, okay, well let's do it. And that's kind of like how it began. <laughs> Which you would never have been able to say in person, but you could say it no! in a chat room. Yeah. But you could say it online. Yeah. And that is Kind of like that was the gateway drug. <laughs> and how old are you at? How old are you at this point? That was seventh grade. That was seventh oh my grade. God, so, I can't imagine. Eighty-seven. So I was, I was um, eighty-four. I was like 13, 12 or thirteen. And were these yeah. the other kids you would hook up with? Were they in your school or were they in different schools or? In my school. They were yeah. in my middle school. And yeah. everyone was. Nobody talked about it. It never became a social thing. It was just a secret down low. Only secret down low because Long Island was very hyper masculine yeah. and it was not okay to be gay unless you were in the theater. And that's why I got very involved in the theater at such a young age because I was surrounded by these men who, at the time, I didn't know what gay was when I because I started performing in theater when I was eight. And from like eight until I started, you know, hooking up with boys, I didn't really understand or conceptualize what gay was, but I saw these beautiful human beings living their truthful lives as gay men. And I was just like, oh, okay, this in is the interesting. Working in the theater and being in the world. Working in the theater, yeah. yeah. I mean, there was gay men who just, I miss them so much because unfortunately they have passed away at this point, several of them. Wow. And it's so sad because they were instrumental in creating the person that I am today because of their openness. Talk to me about one of them. Um, his name is Brent. And um, he died, I think it was AIDS-related. Um, uh, he died, I think, sometime in the early 2000s. Yes. And he was the costume designer of this theater, but he also wrote all of the music for the children's theater. And he was like six foot three. He had these skinny legs. And he had this like little bit of a belly, right? He had pierced nipples, this beautiful platinum blonde hair that was natural platinum blonde hair. Wow. He was like tan always, like a little bit like he had been to Fire Island just so many times. <laughs> right. And he was just so open about being gay. I mean, just like he was the swishiest, swishy, swishy gay there ever was. And I just loved him with all of my heart and soul. And how and old I are you when you're around him, working with him and stuff? Eight, nine. Yeah. Ken, and he was, I think, at that time in his late 40s, I think. Um, yeah, because he wasn't in his 30s. He surely wasn't in his 30s. He right. was definitely in his late 40s when I think I first met him, because then he was in his 50s when I became a teenager, and he just was like, he was so loving, and he knew I was gay, and he knew that I needed to figure it out on my own. Right. And I don't think I ever got a chance to come out to him officially. But every time I would see him, he'd give me this big hug and see how I was doing and was so interested and also was just um, so supportive. Right. Um, there was other there was another guy named Patrick that I remember and Matt and Frank. And they were all kind of um, 
Patrick was younger. He was in his like late twenties, but Frank and, and Matt and, um, and Brent, they were all in that kind of like, you know, had been through it basically. Right. They had, they had, they had lived through the AIDS crisis and just kind of seeing these men love each other and hug each other and touch each other and like talk about being gay and talk about sex and make jokes like we, we fucking do all the time, you know, as gay men, like just seeing all of that, um, was really eye opening, And I think that's why I didn't fully hate myself a hundred percent. Yeah. Because I always go to those spaces and look at them and be like, all right, they're okay. Yeah. They're living their lives. They've got their own community and they're doing great. Yeah. And then there was one gay man who I'm still friends with, who I haven't seen in years, but if I saw him, we'd be like fast little Judy's ever, like just chatting away. And his name is TJ and he's a comedian who lives on Long Island now. And he forced me out of the closet and I'm so glad that he did. How did he, he do sat that? Down. He sat me down one day and I was in high school and he was like, cause we were hanging out all the time. And he just looked at me and he goes, Tom, Tom, you're gay. I'm like, what TJ, what? He's like, Tom, Tom, shut up. You're gay. And I'm like, no, no. And at that point I had already been hooking up with men right. like, or, you know, other boys my age, I should say, I don't want to say men. I was not doing anything wrong. Um, so, you know, he kind of just was very frank with me. It was just like, you have, you're, you're coming out to me and that's just, and that's the way it is. And he was the very first person I officially admitted it to. And he took me to like gay bars and he forced me to like hang out with him all the time and just kind of like talk about my sexual experiences and he would talk about them. And he was, um, I mean, I love this man so much and he is so funny and it's fun. I'm so glad you're asking me these questions because I'm remind, rem remembering all of these influential gay human beings who like were actually very helpful and were around yeah. as a young man. And it was um, really instrumental into like how I can now accept myself today because of those people. Yeah. But I actually was very glad he forced me out of the closet. And very how old was he in relation to you? Only like two or three years older yeah. than me. He wasn't much older than me. Did you have boyfriends as a teenager? I would consider that first person I hooked up with my boyfriend because um, he and I hooked up with each other for like five years wow. on and off, keeping over at each other's houses, being in secret, you know, constantly like rubbing, like dry humping each other, just constantly. <laughs> um, yeah. We kind of like, we didn't date, but we dated basically. Right. Um, and then, that one person I speak about in my show, who I call Tony in the show, he and I met when I was 16, and then he kind of became my first official boyfriend. Yeah. Wow, I just can't imagine that kind of world in high school. I was, I was, a, I had a different kind of experience. The nipple rings alone must have blown your mind. Like, what are those? What is that for? What is that Blue, about? My, and we're talking, like, <laughs> studs. We're talking, oh, no, I'm sorry, like, bars. They were bars. Bars? Oh, my God! They're not even cute little rings. No, they were bars. He yeah. was like, he was really into, I think, like leather. I think he was really like, he was very much into that kind of community. Yeah. Because my friend TJ, who I just mentioned, was at his house one time and and my and Brent just showed him all of his butt plugs and was like, you got to work up to these. You got to, <laughs> you got to figure it out. You got to work on it. And I was just like, what? Oh. When TJ told me that story, I was just like, Brent, I love you. Yes. I mean, that guy should do a master class, like a fancy oh. master class like Shonda Rhimes. Oh, please. Yeah. Uh, you were God called love. a worrywart when you were a kid. Yes. Tell us I that story. That was, I think that was code for gay. Right. Now that you bring that up. Well, it's such, a, it's such an old aunt, like a spinster aunt characteristic. It's a very feminine characteristic. It is not a masculine characteristic. No, it is not. Yeah. And the woman who called me a worrywart was a spinster. She was this shriveled. <laughs> so she, she, I'm sure she was married because Long Island, almost everyone was married. Right. And if you weren't, you know, we didn't really hear about it. But she was this like d very dark hair. Like she was five foot four, very small, just like witchy kind of woman who in elementary school taught computers and then in middle school taught social studies. And she just was, she just didn't give a shit. 
she just, you know, which is why she called me a worry wart in front of the entire class. Um, and, you know, people laughed at her and people laughed at when she told me, when she said that to me. And I was just like, ha, 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 uh. <laughs> you know, like a little hurt, but also like, okay. You know, um, she, uh, she wasn't very nice. <laughs> yeah. But did you worry about things? Were you worried about things or was it more expressions of anger and frustration or... I think the worry wart was, I, I think I was very anxious, but I didn't, I didn't know that that's what it was until I was 30 something years old. Mm, like I didn't, I couldn't put the, the, the word to that emotion yeah. until much, much later. And, um, I didn't understand what she meant when she told me that Yeah. when she said that to me, I think I, I thought it was just kind of, um, just someone who kind of like is frenetic and right. frantic. And I was just like, what? Okay. And like, I feel like my mom might have said it to me or my grandma might have said it to me at some point when I was younger, which is why I could understand what the phrase was. Right. But yeah, I don't, you know, I didn't understand the severity of that phrase until much, 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 much later. You yeah. Know? It's an interesting phrase now that you think about it, because it sort of implies yeah. not getting anything done. Like it implies a sort of passivity that you're just like sitting there freaked out, you know? Yeah, which is also not even as a child. I wasn't that. I yeah. was very active as a child. I was very much like wanting to do things. I was like involved in the plays in school and like other things, other programs. And then I like outside of the school, I was doing theater and classes and I was yeah. taking tap dance. Like I was like, a I was active. Yeah. I was an active kid. Yeah. So like, you know, I think she was giving me like low key homophobia, yeah. <laughs> but um, I didn't under, I couldn't Which understand. Which is the best kind of homophobia. I find, I like the low key. It goes yeah, down, it goes yeah. down pretty smooth. Um, yeah. <laughs> whenever I see a one-person show, I always wonder about what goes into picking the outfit because it has to be kind of nondescript. It can't be too flashy. It has to be yes. movable. It has to be flattering. Yes. But it can't upstage because you have to play different characters. Talk to me about what do I wear for this show? Well, there's a few things. There's a few reasons why I wore what I wore. Um, I was my own costume designer because theater doesn't have a lot of money. Right. <laughs> but one of the other reasons why I wore that is uh, around 2015, I decided that I was going to wear a uniform every day and because I was sick and tired of trying to look cute for yes. everyone. You're going to pull a Tom Ford. I Well, I did. So I basically, uh, it, with the exception of gym clothes or like loungewear, right. which is what I'm currently wearing. I wear, I've been wearing the same thing every day for five years. I wear a khaki pant or a navy pant and a button-down shirt. And it's very nondescript, but it also look, is like clean lines. Yeah, it you also know it like, looks good. I know it looks good. I also know that it works for casual, and I know that I can upscale it by putting a sweater over it or by, like, tucking it in or, like, I can go elevate it a little bit. Yes. So I wanted something very down the middle. That was not going to make me stress. I chose colors like gray or blue that I knew work with my skin tone and that I wouldn't have to think about because all I wanted to do was wake up in the morning, take out a shirt, take out pants and, and leave the house. I didn't want to sit there and be like, does this work? Is this cute enough? What if I add on this scarf? What if I put on this cardigan? I was really sick and tired of it. Yeah. So what you see on stage is a version of, of that. Of your uniform. And I felt like and I felt like I needed to do that because I wanted to be my most authentic yeah. self. Yes. And so that's why I chose something that I would wear every day. I love it. Uh, uh, that's kind of how I came to choosing that particular, that particular, um, that particular look. Combo. You know, it, it was like if I, if I was playing many different characters or like there was a, there's a world where the costume could change and where I thought about for a long, for a, not a long time, but for a short period of time, I was like, what is this costume? And I was like, I wanted, because I love caftans more than anything. Really? And I was like, hey, oh my God. I was like, I'll just come out in a caftan, but that's not what the show was about. Not the show all. was about Tom as the person that you see at a party. Do and you Tom, wear caftans? Um, Around? Just for fun. 
just for fun. I wouldn't, I like, I wear them whenever I go away, I bring a few caftans and I like, like to wear caftans like as I'm lounging. In the hotel um, or where, the, yeah. Yeah, or like, you know, at a, like an Airbnb or yeah. like one of those things. Like I, that's all I wear all weekend if I'm away is just a caftan because I love the feeling of just that fabric on my skin. I love the fact that there's, it's non-restrictive. I love that I can just like feel like I'm wearing a dress, but I'm not wearing a dress. Do you wear no underwear or underwear? I wear underwear with it. Okay, that's good. I support that. So um, I was thinking about wearing a caftan because I love them so much, but then I thought that that would be way too distracting. And I was also like, then I'd have to explain while I'm wearing a caftan. Yeah, I mean, I could, or I could. It's a different kind of show, I think. It's a different kind of show. Yeah. Which is why I chose that specifically. It should so that's be your, like your, show, your upcoming show, I Love Caftans. Um, it will be me, and I don't know if you know Ryan O'Connor, but it will be me and Ryan O'Connor <laughs> sitting on stage in, in like lounge chairs with a cocktail or me with some marijuana, yeah. and we're just wearing caftans talking about caftans. <laughs> I, I think that would be very fun. Um, very. When you decided your uniform strategy, did you like it right away? Did it work? Was it like a good move? Because I sometimes think about, should I try to do that, something like that? Um, it did work right away because... I had to, my friend David kind of coached me on it because my friend David has always been my style consultant right. <laughs> forever. And um, I went through this big, this big like clothing journey before I got to the uniform and I dressed up very much. Like every day I wore like a, I wore, um, I wore a vest and a tie and I like, I, I was very, very formal all of the time. And where are you I, going to meetings and auditions? And well, I was going, I was working at a literary agency for a really long time. I got you. And, um, so I was working in an office okay. and that's kind of why I was like, Oh, I was like, Oh, I'm just dressing up for the office. And then I kind of like, just, even when I would go out to like gay clubs, I'd still kind of like dress up. I wouldn't like, yeah. you know, wear just a t-shirt and jeans. Right. Um, and so, when I was trying to figure out this uniform, I said to my friend, I was like, I really need to do this. I'm sick and tired of wearing things every day that I hate. He's like, well, what do you like wearing the most? And what do you feel most comfortable in? I'm like, I feel most comfortable in like just a simple pant and a simple shirt. He's like, great. Go to Uniqlo, get some of those shirts, get those khakis, live in that and see if that works. And thankfully that worked. I love it. Well, I find it an interesting, an interesting concept. Um, you collaborated with Catherine Burns, Emmy-winning choreographer, yeah, uh, on correct. this on this piece. I used to take her class a little bit at the Sweat Spot, and she oh, would fun. she would teach this class that was like uh, music video choreography that you knew already. So I think she taught me a Janet Jackson combo and a Britney Spears combo, and I miss those days. But anyway, she's cool. I don't oh. know her super well, but I. I'd love I didn't know that class. she used to do that. What a fucking treat. Oh, yeah. I remember, oops, I did it again with the little heart moment. Oh. Yeah. Cat Harder than it looks. It should be, that choreography looks so easy. But I couldn't do it. I, I, I it, you know, you want to do it. What, the oops you wanna choreography? What? The oops choreography? Yeah. Yeah, the fun thing about Cat and the reason why I think she's so incredibly talented is because she can make even a non-dancer dance. She can make someone who has no rhythm and who doesn't know how to move and she will figure out how to make you move. Well, you look like you, 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 you move a bit in the piece. There's a little dance moment, uh, yeah, there is which dance I was moment. all about. Thank you. But you look like you trained. I did train. Yeah. I did, because uh, in college, I went very hardcore into dance. Good. So I like I took ballet for constantly, almost every day. Love it. I was like, taking jazz dance and musical theater dance, and I was in a dance company in college. Like, I was very into dance. The dance, I love it. I got that. And I have that. And, and that's kind of when I was writing the show. The show changed a bunch, but what I wanted from jump was a dance element. I was like, there's nothing I love more than dance. It has to be in the show. I love dance so much. And then I worked with Kat on a musical called Found that was with the Iana Theater Company before the pandemic that was like up for several weeks and then we were shut down because of the pandemic. Oh, I want to see and it. It was very good. Um, but she choreographed that and that's how I met her. And I was her dance captain on that show. And I just struck, fell in love with her and was just like, you and I see eye to eye. And I also love that you know how to make choreography humorous, but you also know how to choreograph to the dancer. And so when I asked her to do this, she was like, absolutely no questions asked. Yes, let's do it. 
And when we were trying to figure this dance out, it was very fun to kind of discover what we wanted because we kind of choreographed that in two days. And it was like a week, like only if, like a week or less before we actually shot it is when we choreographed it. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, she just brings, she brings a lot of spontaneity to the room because she has a huge background in improv comedy and in comedy period. So she, when you walk into the room with her, when she's ready to like choreograph something, it feels like we're discovering it kind of like in the moment. And it feels like you're taking an improv class and dance. She's like, try this. Okay, no, that doesn't work. Try this. And it feels very effortless. And she always does things to make you look the best that you can. One, I have one of my dance regrets. I don't have many, but I was, <laughs> I was studying at the sweat spot, taking classes for fun. And I remember yeah. Catherine, she either posted something or announced it or whatever. They were looking for dancers to be in this video that was going to be like a 24 hour video. Uh huh. And I think she invited everyone in the recital and I, I, I thought maybe I'll reach out to her, or, but I didn't. And it ended up being, do you remember when that song Pharrell Williams' Happy came out? Yes. And it was 24 hours of people dancing? That's uh-huh. what it was. So yeah. my friend Benji's in it, and, you know, I don't know if I would have gotten in it or what it would have been like, but it's like, oh, that would have been a cool thing to be a part of. Um, and they had to somehow make that work. But she she was, I think she choreographed yeah, she, it. Yeah, she choreographed that. She talked to me about that, actually, yeah. earlier, a little bit uh, like a few months ago when we were kind of ki- talking about this particular show, she was telling me about that story and how like intense that was because she had to find hundreds of dancers yeah. to do that. And I didn't have the balls to tear off the little piece or I don't know. I, I don't remember how the ass came through, but it was kind of that thing of like, I don't know. Yeah. Next time, Dennis, there'll be many more opportunities. Will like there? That. Yes, there will. There will you, be. There will be, and you will be first in line. Okay, that's good to know. So, in other words, never pass on the dance. You just, that's the lesson we learned. That Um, is the lesson. Which is funny to me because dancing seems to be, on a surface level, at odds with some of the themes that you do, the anger. Like the guy that's yelling in the car, you don't imagine him necessarily spinning or busting a move or the freedom of dance, right? So how yeah. does that comport with your road rager? Well, what I find calms my rage the easiest is dance. So I have noticed, and that's why I kind of kept it in there. I have noticed uh, in the you know in the past that the one time I don't think about everything else in the world is when I'm in a dance class because you arrive in a dance class, you put all of your stuff on the side. Yeah. You have to stretch, you got to go across the floor, and then you have to learn this combination. And for this hour or hour and a half, all you have to do is learn that combination and do it several times and support the other people in the room and give energy to them as they're also learning the dance and you trying to figure it out on your own and you kind of like working on your body and thinking about inside of your body how you move and where you move and how to, you know, how to develop and make it better. And it really takes me out of myself that's and amazing. Kind of like, or, or rather puts me inside of myself. Right. So that's kind of why I added the dance piece because I was like, this calms me down. That's beautiful. Dance calms me down. What kind of styles do you like to take? What are your favorite dance classes? Well, I love this. I mean, I love the sweat spot. It's one yeah. of my favorite places to take dance class here because it, it is. I like it, but the barefoot shit, I can't with the bare oh, yeah. feet. My feet I get wear all socks. torn up. Yes, I wear socks. I used to be able to do that, Dennis, when yeah. I was younger, because we danced barefoot all Those through college. Those boys will dance in their bare feet and make it look easy, and then you go home and you're, like, bleeding. I, I bled too many times, and so I always put on a pair of socks, and Thank it always you. helps. I never, yes. I never walk out of there mad if I have a pair of socks on. And you don't have sock uh, shame. You don't feel like I'm not the real deal. Okay. That's correct. That's good. Um. That place is wonderful because they don't judge you there. Yeah. They're like, everyone is welcome. I don't care if you fuck it up. Yeah. You just have to have a good time. Right. And that is the spirit, I think, the real spirit of dance is to just be like, it's a it's a release and it's an escape. And that's also why I love it. But I love, um, I used to take ballet class with this guy named Edward who right. taught at 
um, who taught at um, The Edge. Yeah. And and um, I took it over here in Santa Monica for many years. And he is a police officer right. who was in the fucking Bolshoi or some shit. And he is like Russian and he is gorgeous. Like Literally he is, a police officer? Yes. Or I just thought you meant like a police officer about dance. No, he is a cop. He's a cop who also was in the fucking Bolshoi. Like That's a pilot. I mean, That's a TV pilot. It is. Yeah. He is also like the the hottest yes so hot i okay so story a little story but he i love taking his class and i cannot find him anymore i don't know where he went to or what the fuck's going on but i miss him and i love him and i would take his class at any point anytime any day um edward uh was teaching it the edge i was taking at the edge one day and we were in at, at the bar at warm-up and um all of a sudden, some sexy man comes in, and I'm like, I, I like feel the presence of a sexy man as any gay man would in a room filled of like, you know, 18 year old girls. Right. You're like, uh, I feel a hot man. <laughs> this hot man enters into the class. He takes place behind me, behind me, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna cream my. I better be good today. I better be good today. I and I bend down to. I bend down forward to like do you know like you know a dance whatever warm up, and I look up and I look in the mirror at who's behind me and it is Ryan Gosling. Holy shit! And Ryan Gosling is taking ballet. This is before a La La Land. Well before. Yeah. And I, I like lean back and then there he is and he's standing right behind me. Then Edward comes over, the teacher, and I'm like doing, you know, the move or whatever. And Edward uses me as an example to Ryan Gosling and says, you need to dance like him. <laughs> oh, my God. And you didn't and get a I, thank you at the La La Land acceptance speeches. I don't he know did not thank me, but that's fine because, like, we have a secret affair. He's coming over in a few minutes, so I have to get off soon. You know what uh, I mean? He is everything. He's everything. Uh, he was, he's so hot. He's so hot. It was hurts. it a one-time pop? No, he was in the class several other times because what I found out is that his mother owned a dance studio and he took dance ever since he was a kid. Yeah, and like you know, he does know how to move very well. Yeah. But watching him do ballet was like one of my favorite things in the world. Also, watching everyone else in the class just sit there like, Holy "It's shit. Ryan Gosling." <laughs> Holy shit! It was, it was so fucking great. Anyway, Edward is an amazing teacher. And I love him very much. And he also is a delightful human being who yeah. pushed me and pushed me even in my like, you know, because a lot of the, the class I would take in Santa Monica was me and like 60, 60 year old or 50 year old women. And so he was just so happy to have a male in the class that like was a little bit younger that could do some of the moves that he wanted us to do. Yeah. But he was so supportive of everyone in the class. Every woman in there was just like, I love being here because he makes me feel like a ballet dancer. Yeah. Um, I don't know why we got on this story. Why because did I you talk dance about- in your show and I love dance. One of okay. my biggest regrets is I, I, there was a period of, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago where I never danced or took class or anything like that. And then I right. rediscovered it in like 2010 or 2011. And then that, I'm like back in the thing. But um, we love to dance. Um, love- tell people how they else- can see your show. Well, you can go to iamatheater.com, I-A-M-A-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.com, um, and you just buy a ticket there. It's the, the cheapest ticket is $15. Every other ticket is to, like, support the theater company. Um, every week you get talkbacks. So, like, the first week it was Michael Yuri was an additional talkback. The second week was Tom Lank and Byron Lane as a talkback. This week, if you buy a ticket, the third week is Leslie Headland. We had a talkback with her about the show. And um, the final week, next week, is going to be uh, a talk back with all the other virtual artists that are part of the season of IAMA. Um, and so, you know, you buy a ticket, you get it, you get it for a week to stream. Once you press play, you've got forty-eight hours to watch it. You'll you can airdrop it onto your like Apple TV, so you can watch it on the television. You don't have to watch it on your computer. Um, it's very simple, or you can find me on Instagram, which is at Detrinus, and I have a link in my bio that you can go to there. Um, you can just Google making friends and it will just come up, right. you know? Um, yeah. So it's pretty simple. Pretty simple. Good for you. You made it happen during the, the quarantine. 
Are yeah. You gonna... Well, thank you, Dennis. You want to tell? You want me to tell you when I laughed out loud the hardest? Please. When you said "Get out, fame." <laughs> you know, you know, know what? Drew will be so excited that you said that because he had me add that line in, and there you go. That line's especially for you. Well, you you're talking about how you hate the subway and people dancing and stuff. You hate New York, but yes. but you hate people like you know street performers and people. Ugh, so and, annoying. And you want to say "Get out, fame." Um, yes. You also hate cheese. I do hate cheese. All I'm sorry. cheese. I hate. I only like two kinds of cheese. I like mozzarella cheese and I like ricotta cheese. But every other, every other cheese grates. Just like feels to, like dirty feet in my mouth. Needs to go fuck itself. Yeah. Please. Uh, yeah. So, um, final final question. I guess you write about anger in the show. Where it comes from? Do you wish you were less angry, or have you gotten less angry? How do you feel about your anger? Um. I have become a lot less angry ever since I have been trying to figure out why. Yeah. And um, I can control it better. I'm not, I'm not resentful or regretful about my anger or the moments where I have let my anger out. I'm not at all. Um, I'm very proud of my anger. I'm proud to talk about my anger. I'm proud that those who know me very well know that I'm a very angry person. Um, I find that it is an incredible release when I, <clears throat> when I do get angry. Um, but, you know, I, I think that it is important to talk about it because I didn't realize so many other people were angry until I started saying that I was angry. And it was a, you know, I... I also think it's a very beautiful emotion because it is a moment when you see someone so alive and it does make me feel whenever I'm angry, it does make me feel very alive. I do feel like, like I am, I am really here, you know? That's amazing. Uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a love hate relationship, but most of the time it's love and the love comes with a lot of acceptance. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at with my anger at the moment. I love it, and you you live with it, and you you when you understand it more, it, it's you're less at the yeah. mercy of it, I guess. You know. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I love mm -hmm. it. Well, people should go check it out. It's been really fun to talk to you. Congrats Ditto. on making something happen in the pandemic, and I well, hope to see yes. you in person when all of this is uh, behind. And when us. all this is over, I know. Yeah. I hope so too. And dance class. We'll go to dance class. I mean, I'm into it, Dennis. You mean Gosling, right? Yes. Yes. Exactly. Right. I will put. He will be doing a, stre a, a Russian stretch on the floor. I yes. can pull his arms toward me. Yes. And you can be in the back. Pushing. Yes. Just or vice versa. Uh, whatever. You know what? It's a, it's our world. We can live in it, exactly. and we can make the choices we want to make. Exactly. Okay? All right. It's fun talking to you, and I'll I'll let you know when this is going up and stuff like that. Great. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Tom Detrinas. Check out his show, Making Friends, at IamAtheater.com. And it's theater, R-E, not E-R, because these people are classy artist people. So, R-E. All right, so this happened. It was Christmas. Um, I didn't really go anywhere or do that much. Um, my roommate and I uh, exchanged presents, and that was fun. And I had some food and watch some stuff. And the most revolutionary thing that's happened, I think, in my home is I have a smart TV. It's a good size, but it's from like 2013 and it doesn't get a lot of the more recent apps like Apple TV or HBO Max. And so I was able to buy an Amazon Fire Stick for under $20, put it in the back in an HDMI hole, and now I'm able to get some of the apps that I have on my laptop up on my smart TV. So it's basically revolutionized our home viewing experience. We get Canopy, which is a free app that you get with the library that has a bunch of good movies. Uh, we watch Ted Lasso, which is my favorite thing of the year. I love it so much. And The Morning Show, we popped in on that. Aniston and Witherspoon going toe-to-toe. -to -toe. It's good. It's, it's, it's of the moment. They take on me, too. Um, so that's been good. So I'm very excited about my Amazon Fire Stick, and I would maybe put it inside me, but it wouldn't work as well as it works on the TV. So there's that. Um, this may be my last podcast for 2020. Quite a year, right? 
I want to thank you for sticking with me and listening. And uh, it's meant a lot to me to have this outlet and connect with some of you that listen. And I hope you've enjoyed some of the people we've brought to you. Um, plan to keep it going in 2021. And, um, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine recently who had it looked like something promising happening in the new year. And, and, and he remarked, fuck, finally. And maybe 2021 will be the year of fuck finally for a lot of people. <laughs> Whatever that means to you. I kind of resonates for me. I liked it. It made me laugh. Um, so there's that. So happy new year. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye.